News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And uh, the phone numbers are 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. That's at Pete Callender, and that is Callender with a K and then an A-L-I-N-E-R. All right. So um, the Charlotte City Council, I, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I did not go in-depth on this. But uh, we're going to go in depth, and we're going to drag some people today for it because um, it really, it really does expose the Charlotte City Council members as uh, as just the cynical career politicians that they are. Not all of them. Hashtag not all council members, but there are a couple of them, and you can see in this discussion about overhauling the Charlotte City Council governance structure you can see who they are because their reasons for overhauling the structure conflict with themselves they offer reasons for example they say there's this lamentation from the oh so overworked mayor pro tem who wanted the job by the way remember this always remember braxton winston the mayor pro tem in the city of charlotte who was not the votainer in the election that's the person who got the most votes. He was uh, he was an untainer, or I heard somebody uh, suggest the no-tainer. <laughs> That's a good one, too, but it's too close to votainer, and I don't want there to be confusion. So the votainer is the replacement word. I mean, if everybody else is changing the language, why can't I? Votainer, we're going to make it happen. Votainer is top vote-getter. Braxton Winston was not the votainer. Braxton Winston really doesn't deserve to be mayor pro tem. The excuses that were offered up for him to be Mayor Pro Tem were weak at best. Weak at best. Historically speaking, the one who finishes first in the city council at-large race, they become the votainer. That would be Dimple Ajmira. But apparently, not enough council members wanted Dimple Ajmira to be the Mayor Pro Tem. So they they blocked her from being named so, and uh, they gave it to Braxton Winston. Again, don't know why I'm not privy to the Democrat council members' internal discussions. So here's the the mayor pro tem, who then, by the way, when he becomes mayor pro tem, they they restructure all of the committees so he doesn't have to serve on a single one of them. He doesn't serve on any of the committees. He's just there to build consensus. This is going to be his kind of job, but not really. To build consensus around stuff. And he's up there last night making all of these excuses, or Tuesday night, uh, I should say, at the council meeting, making all of these excuses for why uh, the job is so hard. It's so, you're going to hear it. I got audio. We're going to play all this audio. Oh, it's just so time consuming. There's so much work. Hey, buddy, you asked for the gig, you asked for the job. You not only asked for the job, you asked for it again. You asked for it twice. I mean, the first time, maybe you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just uh, run for election. People asked me to run for election because they saw me without a shirt on with a fist in the air in front of cops, you know. And so they're like, oh, he looks like a good elected official. We should put him in place. And so they threw him into office. Fantastic. Good for you. But now you've been there a couple years. You know what the gig is. And you run for it again. 
And you oh so wanted to be Mayor Pro Tem, but you didn't finish first. So you upended the the game, right? You turned over the table upon which the the game board rests. You turned it over. You blew up the uh, uh, the way things were, the status quo, the the understanding that if you finished first, well, I mean, unless you were a Republican, sorry, that's an important caveat. That is, it's an important caveat because um, one of the other back in the day, Patrick Mumford had actually. Uh, won the most votes. He was the votainer in a city council at large race, and uh, he was a Republican. And the Democrats that held the majority on the city council, they then uh, turned over the the table, flipped over the board, and uh, they named Patrick Cannon. Great pick there. Patrick Cannon to be the mayor pro tem. Because everybody understands the mayor pro tem, although you don't really do anything, there's no real duties to the job, it's just a title. Um, I mean, yes, you, you take the big scissors and you cut the ribbon at the events and stuff when the mayor can't show up. Um, and you'll run the meetings if the mayor can't show up. But it's sort of like the, the mayor in waiting, mayor in training. It's like the training wheels mayor, right? You're there. You're there just waiting on the opportunity to run for mayor if the other mayor just tires already, right? So once Vi Lyles... Once she steps aside and she's like, I'm done being mayor, I'm going to go spend time with the grandbabies, then um, then the coronation commences, right? That's the idea. That's why they don't want to get rid of the mayor pro tem spot for whoever the Democratic Party wants to pick, and that's why they wanted Braxton Winston. I don't know why the why he's preferred over Dimple Ejmira. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. That's what they did, right? That is what they did. But he knew what the gig was, and not only did he seek it again, but he wanted even more power, even though it's so time-consuming. But they also rejected eliminating one of the at-large seats. So the way the city is, uh, the city council is structured, right, there are 11 total city council seats and the mayor. So there are 12 total, but the mayor, it, it, the mayor doesn't get to vote except to like break ties and in some like rezoning cases or whatever. Not a lot going on there. Mayor, it's a weak mayor system by design, by the way, by design. We have what's called a North Carolina council manager form of government. You have a professional manager, professional staff. They do the administrative operational work of all the towns and cities. And then you have a board of directors, right, basically, right? The city council that advises them, offers input. They are the elected representatives that direct the the management. All right, so you got 11 seats. Four of them are at-large, which means they're citywide, right? Everybody in the city gets to vote for those four, and then you have seven districts. So in order to understand, like, this got changed, by the way. Like, within the last, uh, I guess it was 40 years or so, it used to be all at-large. And that was a system set up to repress minority representation, be it... Blacks or Republicans. That's the purpose. That's why you do it at large. Because you have a lot of people running in this massive race and you turn out your voters. And when you do that, you end up with all of the top slots. You have all the top four votainers. Or at that time, I think it was seven. You have all seven of those seats. And by the way, this is the exact same thing that the city of Asheville still operates under. The city of Asheville still operates under that very same model. And I argued at the time when I was working in Asheville, and I would argue it here as well, which is 
district representation leads to better representation of the people. You have city council members that focus on core services because they live in the district. They're not at large. They're, they're more responsive to their neighbors because they live in the district. You're going to see them at the grocery store. Think of it this way. When's the last time you bump into a U.S. senator at your grocery store? Or even your local congressman? How about your state senator, state representative, right? Maybe a little bit more likely than your congressman or the governor, right? That's the point of a district representation. It's the representative that is most closest to the people, which is why you want those city council members to be in your neighborhood. When you have an all-at-large system, everybody usually, like in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, or Charlotte specifically, they all used to come from the wedge You know what the wedge is, right? It's the southeast part of the city. And they drove the government. They were the ones in that wedge, right, the uh, the southeast part of the city, the rich folks, the retirees, the bankers, like the, the elites, you know, the royalty, they drove the train. And they eventually had to dismantle that. I think they got sued by the NAACP or something. They eventually implemented four at large and seven districts. You don't need at-large anymore. There's no reason for at-large seats. You can have one, like Tark Bakari, City Councilman Bakari, he suggested one mayor pro tem seat. Okay, you have one mayor pro tem. I would submit you don't even need that because you got the mayor. But you could have 11 districts, and they would be smaller districts, which would actually mean less of a workload for people that are complaining, like, it takes so much time to read all the documents. Well, hey, if you have a much smaller district... You have fewer constituents to have to service, and so you'll have more time to read all the documents, to go to the meetings, to be more uh, uh, responsive, if that is actually your concern, right? Because what is the concern, really? When you look at what they have recommended to do, it becomes very clear. This is their attempt to create a career politician class with them as the inaugural crop. They are intending to become career politicians by creating the structure that will entrench them there. Just look at the system. Look at this. It's very clear. They want to keep the four at-large seats. Oh, they'll add another district to make it a 12-person city council. Well, what does that mean? The potential for tie votes. Well, what does that do? It empowers the mayor. Oh, and also, they wanted, they're kicking around the idea of, of turning the city council into a full-time position. But what does that mean? That it means That means the pay raises that they gave themselves, that now they get paid more than $50,000 a year for a part-time job, which they say is not a part-time job at all. Well, if you go full-time, so what, $100,000? for the mayor? Like, what are we talking about here? And what exactly does a full-time city councilman do all day? They'll be up to no good. I don't want politicians working all day. (laughs) I don't want them dreaming up all sorts of ideas of how GovCo can get involved, more involved in our lives. But that's just me. That's just me.
News Talk 1110, 99.3, WBT. Got a message here from Kevin, who says, Pete, if if Councilman Braxton Winston goes full-time as a councilman, can he still be a Hornets cameraman? Yeah, I mean, well, that's what he... That, yeah, he. this is what he does. He works as a camera guy. He works like in video production stuff and shooting video and whatever. And, and you know, he's, he, he works gigs. This is what he does, right? He, he works gigs. And so last or Tuesday night, he's talking about, oh, I work four jobs. Eh, yeah, well, not really. I mean, they're gigs, right? There's paid time and unpaid time. And I get that. I totally get that. There are a lot of people that have their own businesses that run for elected office and such. And it's funny, like, how people make all sorts of assumptions about that. Uh, Like, oh, you have your own business, so you're rich. You have all this time to be an elected official. Well, no, a lot of times you don't. I mean, people who have ever started their own companies know, like, you are working all the time. All the time. But I also have to acknowledge here the elephant in the room, which is... uh, Millennialism is just a wee bit, sorry, Bernie, our resident millennial. Um, There's a wee bit of millennialism going on. And I will say Bernie bucks the trend here uh, for his generational cohort, which is there's this idea that I graduate from, you know, some prestigious private school, right, as the mayor pro tem did. And like you and then you have this. You have this, these doors that just open for you, and, and here you go, right out of college, no experience. Here's $150,000 a year. You're fantastic. Here's your trophy for breathing. And um, no, no, you're not special. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, to be the one to say this. Like, you're, not, you're not special. I mean, yes, you're special like everyone is special, but that makes you not special because everyone is. You see? Your 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 plight, the the cross you bear, right? It, it it doesn't warrant these actions that are being debated. All right, so let's let's go to some of the audio here. So, um, the Charlotte City Council. This comes out of the Budget Committee. It unanimously endorses three changes. Number one, instead of two year terms, they're going to go to four year terms. Number two, instead of doing everybody's election at the same time, they're going to stagger the elections. This is what I call the status quo protection act, right? Where you you can't throw all the bums out at once. No, no, no. You can't have a wave election and sweep everybody out of office. You can't do that. You're going to get more like what we saw on the school board, right? Where everybody got swept out. Almost everybody got swept out. But then you had the chairwoman, Elise Dashu, making the smug, smirking comment of, I'm not even on the ballot this time, right? Oh, I'm not up for election this year. So it, so what it does is it actually creates problems because you've got elected officials that are up for re-election versus those who are not. And the ones who are not, they are freed up to push more radical measures. And the ones who are up for election, if they go along with their party and let's face it in a one party local governing uh, environment like we see ourselves in here in Charlotte Mecklenburg uh, the the pressure is always on the Democrats to fall in line because if you lose in a primary which is generally lower turnout you lose in a primary you're out you're done right and so the pressure is always there to fall in line 
And that means the people who are driving the agenda are the ones who aren't up for re-election when you are. Which means you have way more to lose if you cross your own party, right? So that's the point. It's It's to protect the status quo. It's to entrench democratic power, and it's to protect that status quo, the people that are entrenched. So that's the staggered election cycle. Um, And then rather than convert one of the at-large seats into a more representative, a more democracy-loving kind of district representation model, instead of going from uh, four at-large and seven districts to a a three at-large and eight districts, they say, let's cut the baby in half and just add another district seat without getting rid of an at-large seat. So now we'll have another member. We'll have a, a 12th member on the body. And then there was a debate. Do you think we need to, I don't know, ask the voters about any of this? Mm. And some of the council members were like, oh, hell no. Now, the reason they don't want to ask the voters, well, there are two reasons. One, for the record, uh, they don't have to. And they are absolutely correct on that, right? They don't don't have to ask voters to implement some of these changes they want to do. They don't have to put up a referendum. But the real reason is that these uh, these are unpopular ideas. <laughs> That's the real reason. They don't want to go to the voters and have the voters say no to all of these things and then turn around and do them anyway. And if any of this sounds familiar, sort of like a vote that was held back in 2000, 2001, I want to say 01 summer, right before 9-11, concerning a whole bunch, a whole bunch of projects for the city of Charlotte. Uh, there were a lot of museums and arts projects. There was a new baseball stadium for the Knights. There was, uh, what was it? Oh, that's right, an arena for the Charlotte Hornets. And they asked voters. Voters said no. And they did it anyway. And they did it anyway. And by the way, every single one of those projects has now been built. And this was actually mentioned at the council meeting by one of the few council members that was actually on council at the time, Councilman Malcolm Graham. He referenced this very vote, the arena vote, and said it was appropriate. Which, Because, of course it was, because it got Lynn Wheeler uh, primaried, the Republican, got her primaried, right? Created such a backlash against the Republicans, and they never recovered. So for the Democrats, absolutely it makes sense. Absolutely. Crossing, crossing their own voters on more spending, that doesn't harm Democrats. <laughs> it doesn't, there's no price to pay there for Democrats. And remember, Malcolm Graham is also the guy who was in charge of the redistricting committee uh, for the city council races, and he's the guy that tried to draw Tark Bakari out of his district, right? Tried to make it a, a 10 to 1 Democrat-Republican majority on council because that's what Democrats call a fair map. Right. That's what we learned in the decade plus of litigation around Republican drawn maps at the state level is that when when Democrats gerrymander, those are fair maps. And when Republicans gerrymander, those are uh, threats to the democracy. Right. Dimple Ajmira, who's the chair of this committee, said that, look, Charlotte's growing and we need to revamp our governance structure. And we're not right now recommending a fourth item, which is do we go to full time? from part-time that's not part of this package spoiler alert though i will tell you that is the next step (laughs) that's what will come next okay 
First, you get this apparatus in place, four-year terms, staggered elections, 8th district, and then you make yourself you know, a career politician with a full-time job and over $100,000 in salary plus benefits, and then nobody can get rid of you. But you gotta, you got to make sure they can't get rid of you first. So that's the first step. That's what they're doing now. We'll take a listen to the excuse. I mean the explanations. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Talking about Charlotte City Council and their brilliant idea to entrench themselves in power in perpetuity. Um, I've gone through, so there was, uh, there are two committees that you kind of got to be aware of. There was first, um, a couple of years ago, there was the citizen advisory committee on governance. This was an ad hoc committee. So it was just, they put it together. You got a mission. Look at this, uh, the, look at the current structure of the Charlotte city council and, uh, you know, look at the, the way it, it could change, do an analysis, make a recommendation to us. Okay. And that was done a year or so ago, came back with, uh, uh, with a whole bunch of uh, recommendations, and I have those. Then you've got the Charlotte City Council. They have a budget committee, and the budget committee looked at the Citizens Advisory Committee report, but then they also, you know, did their own analysis. And so they're making their recommendation to the full council now. And their recommendation doesn't include some of the things that the Citizens Group advised it doesn't include some of them. And then they added some extra stuff in there. And when you look at the differences between what they rejected from the citizens and what they added in on their own, it becomes very clear what the purpose is. Okay. Let's start with some audio, shall we? First up, we have City Councilman Malcolm Graham. And he said that the Charlotte City Council should probably not ask the public for approval. You know, listen, uh, we've been down this road before, right? And I think sometimes council just needs to make a decision. Sometimes. And let the chips fall where they may. Uh, and if there's someone wants to challenge that decision, uh, allow them to do so. That's how the process works. Um, I remember there were some people around this dais um, that made a decision about um, building an arena when the public said no. But we did it because it was in the best interest of the public, even if it costs some members their seats. Um, I think we all can say that that arena uptown has proven to be a, an appropriate vote, notwithstanding the voice of the public that's saying, no, we shouldn't do this. Right. So screw you, public. Uh, we know you voted against it. We know you threw out a bunch of uh, city council members who voted for it over your objections, over your no votes. But hey. Smudgy and I are still here, so it's cool. Because I, I look around at that council, and I don't see anybody on that council anymore that was there for the arena vote. I mean, maybe the mayor, but I think she was a city staffer at the time, so she didn't vote on it. There wasn't anybody else on council that was there for that. Also, I suggest, I submit, the reason why he's suggesting that, uh, the reason why he's saying that we shouldn't go to the public for approval for this is because he knows what I know, which comes from one of the uh, citywide surveys conducted in 2018. Victory Enterprise, this was Forward Charlotte, and it asks the question, 
Do you view the job that Charlotte City Council is doing mostly favorably or unfavorably? And it was a tie, basically. 39% favorable, 38% unfavorable. And then there was like 23% with no opinion. All right, so that's better than Congress, better than media. So kudos to the city council for having a 39% favorability ranking. Okay. Then they were asked, do you support or oppose the four-year terms? Proposed four-year terms. Do you support or oppose? Oppose? 62%. Support, 28. So Malcolm Graham, I am sure, knows 62%. He knows this number. He knows that by a two-to-one margin, the voters of Charlotte do not want four-year terms. And there are pros and cons to two- and four-year terms. In fact, the Citizens Advisory Group went through the pros and cons of the two- and four-year terms. It's very helpful. For example... A two-year term means that the city council members are more responsive to changes and the needs of their citizens. And it makes them more accountable to voters because you're always up for re-election every two years. They're treated no differently than members of Congress, no differently than the North Carolina General Assembly. Two-year terms. Also, the term length of two years and the time commitment aspect of that that is seen as less of an impediment if you want to run for the office. Now think about that, right? Oh, you're like, oh, I can make a commitment for two years. Let's see how this goes. Can I actually keep up with the workload? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was going to be so much work. I can't do this. And so, all right, well, I just need to make it, you know, another 18 months or so. And then I don't run for re-election. Right, that, that, that's, that, that is an accessibility issue, No. So if you make it four years, now it's more of a commitment. Now it's like you have to commit. I mean, that's like saying I'm going to a college, right? You're making a commitment. You're saying I'm going to do this thing for four years. And so a lot of people may not be willing to make that commitment. Maybe we see more people resigning out of office after a year or two because they're like, I can't keep up with this. Or or you start attracting people who want to be career politicians. And I would submit that those are the people you precisely do not want to be in elected office. How about this? Four-year terms with term limits. How about that? They have a, a stat in their report from a year or so ago where they talk about the average tenure of Charlotte City Council members and mayors and whatever, just historically. And it's about six years. So, okay, why don't we put Everybody on a term limit of, you want four-year terms? Okay, two terms. You can serve no more terms than the President of the United States of America. I think that's fair, right? Or are you saying you're more important than the President? I mean, we know you compared yourselves to Mecklenburg County Commissioners when you were like, give us more money. County Commissioners are on two-year cycles. Hmm. See, the things that they pick and choose that they want to live under, like, oh, we know because we're running for these offices, we're holding these offices, so we know we're the experts. The things that they choose always seem to be things that most benefit them. It's kind of weird like that. No wonder they don't want to ask the voters. Oh, and by the way, yeah, the voters are going to have a say. Even if you try to get around it, 
Because legislatively speaking, right, or, or statutorily speaking, they don't have to ask us. They don't have to ask voters. However, all it would take is about 5,000 people to petition to put it on a referendum. And I suspect that's going to happen. In fact, there were promises made uh, on Tuesday night to make sure that that happens. I would lend my voice to make that happen as well. One of the disadvantages, these are funny, the disadvantages of a two-year term, they say, first off, it's in an off-year cycle. Well, you can change that. The off-year cycles, I believe they did change that. Because they're like, oh, nobody participates because it's an off-year, as if that harms them. No, off-year cycle helps the entrenched powers. They like that. That's why it's been in an off-year all this time. Um, Two-year term lengths are viewed as reactive and shorter term in scope. So one of the disadvantages identified by the Citizens Advisory Group, one of the disadvantages to a two-year term is that it's two years. And if that sounds like circular logic, it's because it is. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's two years. That's Well, that's a disadvantage. Why? Because it's two years. Well, by that argument, then I guess a four-year term is disadvantageous as well. Incumbents often express frustrations and challenges of running a campaign and serving in the position. Like, ah, like I barely get to get get to do the work before I got to start campaigning again. Yeah. Accountability sucks sometimes. I get it. Yeah. I got to go back to the bosses and ask them, Hey, can I still have the gig? You know, I know it stinks. They say four year terms. Um, would the, the body would have longer term decision-making in mind. I don't agree with that. That doesn't make any sense because in fact, you can make a decision now and you're not going to be held accountable for it for years. So why, why would that in, engender more long-term thinking? And one of the advantages, they say, is that you're not always running for re-election. Again, I disagree. I think you're always running for re-election, whether it's a four-year cycle or not. What they mean, I think, by that is they can do unpopular things, like, you know, ram through an arena vote, because they won't be held accountable at the next election cycle. News Talk 1110-993-WBT got an email from Brian who says, Pete, there are so many of the local towns and cities that think they are so important as elected officials that they should expand their own terms. I spent eight years of serve, uh, eight years serving the citizens of Huntersville on the town board while at the same time raising two young kids and running my own business, which required me to travel throughout the U.S., Yes, it was a challenge, but I believe that every citizen should be able to retire elected officials every two years, and they are all supposed to be doing it to serve their community. How about making them all non-paid seats? Yeah, look, I am. Uh, uh, thank, uh, thank you, Brian, for the email. This is an important part of it. These, this is the the citizen legislator aspect. And you get people that are like, well, I want to be able to do my job. I want to be able to raise a family. I want to have all of these things. I want to have it all. I want to do all of these things. And I feel called to serve. You know, at some point, you don't have enough time to do all of the things that you want to do. So you have to prioritize. You have to say, what do I want to do? And are you at a point in your life where you can do this, where you can serve? Does the does the calling to serve, does that you know, outweigh the um, the other things that you want to do in this time period in your life. It's, it's, it should not be forever. It should not be forever. And you would think people working gig 
Jobs would get that more than anyone. All right, so Councilman Malcolm Graham, first he says, hey, you know what? I don't think we should ask the public for approval. I would submit he knows that the public does not approve. And by the way, the public also wants to have approval rights over this. <laughs> That's one of the other survey questions was, hey, do you think the public should vote on this? And uh, yeah, two-thirds said yes. Only 14% said no. So Graham then suggests that, uh, you know, while we're talking about this, I would love to have more staff for us council members. I certainly can use more help in terms of speech writing and other than just scheduling, right? Just research. There's a lot more things that I could um, attending meetings for me in the public, right? What? I mean, there's, there's meetings I should go to. There should be meetings other a staffer can go on my behalf, community meetings, etc. I think all those are legitimate conversations. But I get back to the point of council making a decision, and I think if we're going to do this and if we're serious about changing the form of government, I think we ought to make a decision and tell the community what we're going to do and why we, why we do it, why we did it, uh, and then let the chips fall where they may, um, because if we send it to the public, um, they're going to say no. Y- you know, people want. I think we just we ought to make a decision and and guide the public in terms of where we're going and allow the process to take off from there. Yeah. In other words, we're going to tell them why we did what we did and stuff it. Um, like seriously, that's what. Did you, and also, did you catch what he's talking about there? He needs he needs people to help him write speeches. Are you for real? You want taxpayer funds to pay for your speechwriter and and to have other people go attend meetings instead of you? What? If you don't want the job, why did you ask for the job? Like literally the things that you're supposed to be doing, you don't want to do. You don't want to go to meetings. You don't want to go to community events or something. You, there's a lot of time. And he's just a district rep. I, I believe he's still just a district rep. What he's talking about is the stuff you see at a congressional level. And even then, they only have like one person. And he wants that for his city council district? That's like 120,000 people. That's what he's servicing. 120,000 people in one district in Charlotte. Now, you could have actually had fewer people in that district if you take one of the at-large seats and make it a a district seat. I would submit, take three of the four and turn them into district seats. I would want all of them, actually. I would, I, my preference is everybody in district seats. You take the, the, the city of Charlotte, somewhere in the neighborhood of about, what, uh, 900,000 people, nine districts, 100,000 apiece. You can go all the way up to 12, 12 districts. Divide that. I'm not going to do the math on the fly. I was told there would be no math. So, uh, yeah, that, that'll get you back down to, like, what, 80,000 people per district? You can do that. Um, Ed Driggs, he then asks, um, well, actually, hang on a second. Let me jump over to this one. This is uh, cut five. Uh, Driggs responds to uh, uh, Graham's suggestion that they avoid a referendum. And uh, so I don't support that for what it's worth. Uh, Mr. Graham, on the subject of the referendum, Um, I think the county conducted a referendum on four-year terms not that long ago, which lost by a wide margin. And therefore, I think there is a presumption, or at least there is a concern, that uh, the public is not necessarily on board. 
and therefore I would expect with a high level of confidence that you're going to get the 5,000 signatures and that the public might feel that for us to try to proceed without that referendum would be regarded as aggressive on our part. I, I disagree. All right, he disagrees. Okay, yeah, he disagrees. It absolutely would. It absolutely would get the 5,000 signatures needed to put it on the ballot. And then people are good. Now you've antagonized people, right? Because you first, because you knew that they were opposed to this idea. You knew that they wanted to vote on it. And you said, screw you. We're going to do it anyway. And go get your 5,000 signatures. And if they get the 5,000 signatures, you know you're going to lose. So what is he banking on? What are they banking on? that not enough people care enough to sign a petition and then vote.